Hi, I'm Aaron Yowsey, and welcome to this episode of the Intermountain Turf and Landscape Podcast. I'm excited about this one. I had the opportunity to sit down with Russell Taylor of Live Earth Products. Uh, Russell and his family have been in the Humate business for over 30 years, and he knows all the ins and outs of Humate, its uses in the agriculture field and turf and ornamental. So we had a good time talking about uh, his company as well as uh, Humate and how it works, and hopefully you learn some things and and find some nuggets you didn't know before. So let's get to it. All right, thank you for joining us. We're here with Russell Taylor, the Vice President of Live Earth Products and the President of the Humic Products... Humic Product Trade Association? That's right, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. All righty. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Russell? So I've been in the humic acid manufacturing industry since 1989. Uh, my father opened the business. Um, we, the mine actually opened in 1984, but yeah, professionally since 1989, I've been involved either as a kid or, you know, growing up. <laughs> You've been in a long time? In a long time, yeah. So um, my undergrad is ag business, so a lot of times I, I use humic substances in agriculture. Uh, but a lot. I was also a licensed applicator, so I've got a lot of experience in turf and ornamental also. Well, cool. Um, and talk a little bit about the mine. How did it get started? How did your family end up in the Humate business? So um, a, a tragic event in 1984, there was a Wilberg mine fire. And in that mine fire, my father was um, in, in that mining crew um, earlier on in the shift, and later on the fire occurred, and um, he was in the mine rescue team. And it was just a real traumatic thing for you know the whole community. And uh, my father decided, you know, this is not a life for me and my kids. And so he started using his, using his mining knowledge uh, in uh, other industries. And there was a group that was looking for tar sands and oil shells. And so they were prospecting on the desert. And my father helped them locate some deposits they thought might be good for these kind of things. And it ended up being the, the, the humate deposit was obviously good for fertilizer. So the group continued on. And my father decided to stake a claim and open a mine. And the rest is history. The rest is history. All right. Well, cool. And then it's in Emory County, right? Right, town of Emory. So right here in right here in Utah in the Intermountain West. Um, so let's get let's uh just dive right in to Humate. So talk about what Humate is. Just on a basic level, what is what is Humate? What are you mining in Emory? So Humate is the result of decomposing plant matter, and Humate is a concentrated deposit of plant material. So humic acids, fulvic acids, and human are the result of decomposed plant material. And that occurs in every soil and every aquatic system in the world. The only thing that's unique about humate is it's a concentrated area where there's rich amounts of that. So humic acid is a component of your soil organic matter. When people talk about soil organic matter, they look at their soil tests or regional stuff and say, oh, the soil organic matter is low. Humic acids are a component of that. So the deposit we're mining is just a rich concentration of those compounds that have broken down into humic acid, fulvic acid. It's actually, the mine is a semi-tropical uh, rainforest floor. Really? So all that old plant material is just stacked up over the years. Um, this occurred about 65 to 75 million years ago, so it's been composting for a while. Been there for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned uh, there that it, it's organic matter. You talk about organic matter in the soil. So let's take a little side detour here and talk. What does organic matter do for us in the soil? What, what does that help with or change? So humic acid and organic matter in general, I usually break it down into two components. Your active organic matter and your passive organic matter. And active organic matter is the things that are relatively new, like 
leaf clippings, lawn clippings, compost, manures, all those things that are actively being broken down by the microbes. And the microbes are getting their energy from breaking carbon chains. Somewhere along the way, those microbes are no longer getting energy from the release of the carbon chains. They've broken these things down into really, really small pieces. And it's no longer cellulose and lignin, lignin and those components that were a plant. It's now these smaller functional groups. And those components of soil organic matter we call passive organic matter. So humic acid, fulvic acid, human, all those things that the microbes have already had their chance at. They call it passive because they're not eating it anymore. It's doing other things in the soil. Um, so active organic matter, think of that as more microbe food, water conservation. Your passive organic matter, actually because the outsides where all those carbon chains are broken off, it has a lot of exchange sites. And it's used more for nutrient holding. So for lack of a better word, think of your organic matter as just shelf space. A place in your store, soil that's going to hold, store, and exchange nutrients. Help prevent it from leaching and make it available right. to the plant that you want to have it. Right. So um, it just gives that plant a longer look at it, uh, that nutrient before it's lost, volatilized, or leached. You mentioned humic and fulvic acid. What are the differences there, and what are the what are the differences in roles, say, in the in the, the plant life? So humic acids as a family is just like saying cars. When you talk about humic and fulvic as an individual component, the humic acid family as a whole is a broad range of organic acids, and they characterize them based on molecular weight and size and also how they behave chemically. So fulvic acid is the smallest of the group, and it is soluble at all pH. Humic acid is more the middle-sized organic group, and humic acid is only alkaline soluble. Now, just because it's not soluble doesn't mean it can't do its thing. So if you had applied a granular humic acid to a soil and you said, well, it didn't soluble,ize it's not working. That's not true. It, humic acid, is still, those exchange sites are still going to exchange nutrients. Um, but that just talks about how it behaves chemically. Human is insoluble and, and therefore at all pH. And, and, and that's the largest molecule. So when we talk about those, those are just broad groupings of these organic acids. If you took a fulvic solution, like what, um, our liquid fulvic, which is the LM32, and looked at the organic acids in there and did size exclusion um, analysis, there's actually 3,000 different formulations of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. So th these are groupings more than they are. It's just not like, a single molecule. Right. Mm -hmm. And then so when we talk about humic uh, being used uh, in the plant industry, how long has that been happening? So the, the funny thing is, is humic substances have been used since the beginning of farming, you know, manures, composts, it, it, it's, um, it's not a new thing. This has always occurred in nature. It, it, it's how nature and plants have always interacted. What we're doing with humates and humic acids in concentrates is we're trying to replace those things that would have normally been hauled off or create a environment that's more native to the plant living there. So if you took, let's say, central Utah, um, high mountain desert, you know, what's normally living there is sagebrush. Because that's what that soil can support. You know, if we're trying to grow plants that are designed to have high water use, um, like let's say you're not seeing um, cool season grasses growing out there. It's just there's not the water retention for it, right? So you have to add some of these things that would um, improve that soil. Humic acid is going to help retain water. Humic acid is going to contribute acidity. Th those are the reasons you're adding it to a soil profile here in Utah. That makes sense. It's just not commonly found there. Helps plants grow normally in the soil, but not found right. here in some of our soils. Yeah, so if you're trying to grow all these non-native species, you need to kind of amend the environment that would be more conducive, conducive to what they're looking for. Exactly. 
So, I mean, humic acids have always been used in agriculture. The only reason it's more new, I guess, is people are recognizing these active components. You know, they didn't really figure out that compost eventually turns into these organic acids. And, and now they're saying, okay, well, can we fast forward the process? Can we get these components quicker? What kind of formal research has been done as far as you may? Is there a lot of research being done? Is it ongoing? Yeah, so the there's actually uh, a group that I'm involved with. It's the International Humic Substance Society, and I saw sit on the um, industrial applications of humic substances. And humic substances are actually used in dietary supplements, cosmetics, animal feeds, fertilizers. You know, these organic acids have multiple uses, uh, not just a turf and ornamental. Uh, you're seeing a, a large amount of agricultural research using humic acids in conjunction with fertilizer with row crops. We're seeing um, potentially some biostimulant effects, some interaction with nutrients, uh, so, some, uh, we wouldn't call them urease inhibition, uh, but we're seeing nitrogen retention. We're actually seeing interaction between humic acid and those nitrogen compounds, making them more available to that plant longer. Interesting. And we talked a little bit about agriculture, and that's not really our focus here, but it is pretty big in agriculture, isn't it? It's kind of yes, common. Yes, it is common. So it, we'll just use Utah and Idaho, for example. Um, most um, manufacturer farmers in Utah are going to use humic acid with their phosphorus. They're going to use it, and that's granular applied to the field. You would also see it uh, mixed with liquid fertilizers like uh, UN32, which is a liquid nitrogen, and 1034O, which is a phosphorus liquid. Uh, very commonly done by um, agricultural users. And I would say, you know, as far as the time frame of live earth, a majority of our products were used by farmers long before they were used by turf, um, turf professionals and homeowners. Interesting. So let's get into some of that turf and ornamental stuff and talk about the specific things that humates do uh, for the soil. So there, there have been many things. We talk about salt control and some other things. So let's talk just on a basic level about uh, those benefits, the, the immediate benefits that, that humate provides, say, in, in turf and landscaping. Okay, so we'll start with um, just the basic function of a, of a humic fulvic acid molecule. And both of these do this. And what we're talking about is cation exchange capacity. And we'll use the acronym CEC. CEC is that molecule's ability to hold and exchange positively charged ions. So if you looked on the left-hand side of your periodical chart, you would see all of those cations, potassium, sodium, um, ammonium, uh, magnesium. All of those are positively charged. And if you start thinking about that, each one of those is probably a component of a fertilizer you're trying to work with, right? right. So... Humic acid has a, a very strong affinity to hold and store and exchange those. So CEC is going to affect a lot of things, uh, particularly like salt control you mentioned in the beginning. Um, sodium is a strong cation. And so when you're adding humic acid to the soil, you're actually pulling some of that sodium away from what would be the plant rootlet and buffering the effects. It doesn't make the sodium go away, but it helps um, mitigate some of the effects on the sodium on the plant. So it's a way of... Um, uh, reducing the environment that's, that might be hostile for the plant. So that same ability to store a cation can be used for sodium or ammonium. Anything that's got a positive charge is going to attach to the humic molecule. I like the analogy used really kind of like a shelf, like a pantry shelf for your for your nutrients that your plant needs, kind of hanging on to them, giving them something to grab from. And right, store. that's that, that's exactly it. And, you know, these dark, black, loamy soils you see, you know, they're very high productive in corn or something in the Midwest. They're actually rich in organic matter. And the, the re reason they're productive is because that humic acid is affecting nutrient storage. 
It's also affecting water storage. And, and water storage is, is um, a result of how the soil, the actual soil colloid itself, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to change, you know, if you've got silt particles, you've got silt particles, right? right? But you can change the way they aggregate. They, and, and sodium will cause um, clay particles to really flatten out and it'll reduce your soil's porosity and your soil's ability to store water. Adding uh, any kind of organic matter will actually cause those soil colloids to form. And that creates macropores and micropores. Now, uh, macropores and micropores, think of the micropores as like your, your side streets, not your interstate. Mm-hmm. And, and your macropores is like your interstate. So improving both of those would actually improve your water drainage, your infiltration rates, but also your water storage. Because th- those micropores, just like when you put a straw in water, have you ever seen how the water kind of comes up the straw a little bit? Yeah. It's called capillary action. So that capillary action occurs in the micropores will actually pull that water up and hold it. So improving the soil colloid will actually help improve water storage and make a more efficient use of that water applied. So the humate itself isn't acting like a sponge per se that's holding all the water, but rather helping the soil structure form in a way that allows it to Right, to right. That water. So there was a fun number put out by the um, the NRCS, which is the USDA office. And a 1% change in, in soil organic matter will hold conserve 27,000 more gallons of water per acre. Wow. That's going to fill a couple of pools, right? That's a, that's a big number. So the, the, the ability for that soil to store that more water was just simply affecting its capillary action. And that was just organic matter in general. And, and so any type of organic matter that's going to stay in the soil, what we call sequestered, is going to help last for a longer time. Now, I'll, I'll circle back to our earlier statement where we were talking about active organic matter and passive organic matter. Some organic matter is just broken down really quickly. Um, if you sit, took and put compost or manure down in one year, you could lose 60 to 80% of that weight or mass just by microbial activity converting it to a gas. Mm. So 100 pounds of compost, you put it on your garden, you have these nice mound, and at the end of summer it's just gone because the bugs were working on it. So um, you have to keep in mind you know, when you're establishing a new property, adding active organic matter and passive organic matter. And I'm a big fan of that, particularly on, on, on new turf. And what kind of impact does does it have on the pH of the soil? And we, we, you know, they all it's humic acid, fulvic acid. We know our soils here are very alkaline. What what if any impact does do these have on the pH of the soil? So what you see in calcareous soils is primarily calcareous soils have a lot of calcium carbonate. So we're sitting on a giant tums. You need some sort of acidity to react that. And when you get um, an addition of something like humic acid sulfur, any of those um, acid type, um, even some of your nitrogen fertilizers will contribute some hydrogen ions. Any of those acids will help convert that lime into a free form of calcium. So you're mitigating some of those things would be reserve alkalinity. Humic acids or humates as a raw product are actually pH 3.0. They are, they are um, acidic, but they also have a high CEC. So they're actually holding on to a lot of hydrogen ions. So you see two things. You see buffering and you see a, contribu- a contribution of hydrogen ions. It's interesting. Um, and so particularly in the Intermountain West where our soils are so calcareous and high in pH, these can be particularly beneficial. Right, right. And it's and the nice thing about adding any form of acidity to these, these calcareous soils is you see a lot of nutrient release. Um, there's a really nice graph um, that you, know, you obviously can't show over the air, but iron, for example, would, um, as the pH goes up, it tapers off. Iron availability goes down. So any type of acid you add to a, a soil in Utah will generally free up iron that's already in your soil. You'll see a greening effect just because nutrients that were in that soil could be liberated. 
Right. So while these aren't fertilizers themselves, sometimes putting them down, freeing up those nutrients can have a fertilizer type effect. Right. And humic acids, you know, it's not a quick fix because you have to look at the pool of organic matter you're trying to impact. Um, it's just like eating an elephant. You know, you're not going to do that in one sitting. Right. You know, one little bite at a time. If you took an acre of soil and just dug it up six to eight inches deep and put it in a big pile, that's two million pounds of soil you would have dug up. So if you can say, how are we going to change two million pounds of soil quickly? Well, we want to change 1%. Well, that's 20,000 pounds of pure organic matter. Wow. There's only one way to start <laughs> making an impact is, okay, we're going to put 50, you know, 50 pounds per thousand or 15 pounds per thousand. And over a period of time, just by adding humic acid, getting some microbial activity, you, you can slowly impact that soil organic matter. And we have some you know, trials where we've done that. Over a period of time, you see that humic acid will start impacting water conservation rates. It'll start impacting soil type. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not, you know, miracle green overnight. It's but not a silver bullet, no, all kind of thing. No, but it's a, it's a good add to a fertility program. And people should keep that in mind. Is that, you know, this is part of a program. You're not going to replace nutrients with it, but you are going to make those nutrients last longer. Let's talk about the forms that these come in. Uh, you've mentioned some granular, you know, that they use in Idaho and ag and some other things, the granular forms. Is that the only form it comes in? What kind of forms can you get humic acid in? So there is typically the humate is brought out of the mine as a, as a raw material. And we will fractionate it based on pH. So we can solubilize the fulvic. We can solubilize the humic. And we can sell those as liquid extracts. We also convert those to soluble powders. Uh, typically, the granular is uh, just because you're u- using less um, extraction methods and all those things, your cost per unit of humic is going to be the best. It's the best value, best bang for your buck. However, it's not soluble, or a portion of it's not soluble, because the mm-hmm. fulvic would be soluble, the rest would not. So it's more a, a way of getting effectiveness. Let's say you had a nice established lawn that you wanted to penetrate down to those roots. You could aerify it and put the granular down, which would, would get some penetration. But if you really wanted to reach deep, you would use the liquid version. It's already been liquefied, and it's going to penetrate with the water. So um, heirloom rose, for example, you had a nice heirloom rose. You're obviously not going to dig that up and recondition right. the soil with a soil conditioner blow it. But you could add a liquid humic acid and do the same thing. So um, tree treatments, you know, if you're wanting to get into that tree well and penetrate down and affect those roots, liquid versions are the way they use it. And you see that common in ag. You see liquid humic acid included in fertigation systems. We see that for, for two reasons. Um, you're not seeing a lot of reclaimed water here in Utah. I think in the future you may see that occur. But reclaimed water is water that they've um, pulled some of the municipal municipal solids out, made it safe to use, and they're reusing that water elsewhere. And that water is usually laden with salt. And so places like Arizona and California, they'll actually inject humic acid into that salt-laden water line and help mitigate some of the effects of the salt that's being delivered to the plant. That's interesting. So, so a few different uses. Is there a, is there a change in effectiveness at all between a liquid and a granular form? Um. Yes and no. Depending so on the situation. It depends on the situation. I sometimes I, I, I joke it's like using like liquid humic acid, for example. Um, you know, sometimes it, the application is you want to see a quick result. So adding that liquid ha- humic acid to a, a, a tree well and get it to penetrate down at the water, you're getting that quick result. But it just doesn't have the staying power that the granular does. Yeah. So, you know, you, it seems like you're using the liquid a little more often, whereas the granular uh, it just dollar per value. It's just it's a it's a better buy and a little more staying power. But sometimes you 
you need to get it down into the place where it needs right. to be doing its work. So, right. so really kind of just based on what you need out of it and where Application. you need it to work. Right. Homeowners can apply the granular on top. It's cheap. It's going to slowly work its way down and it's going to affect, um, you know, the plant roots. It's going to affect the surface. The fertilizer you put down, it's going to affect all those, but it's just going to take a little bit of time. The liquid, you know, when I was a professional applicator, liquid humic was my number one go-to product. No downsides to it. it. It penetrated well. The consumer got the results I wanted and they, they saw it quickly. So uh, it just takes, you know, when we were talking about that 2 million pounds of soil, how are we going to change <laughs> that quickly? You know, little spoonfuls of liquid. Um, you, you see a quick visual difference with the water, but, you know, it's, it doesn't have the staying power. All right. Um, and then is all humic acid created equal? I guess is, you know, could could one say batch of humic acid or, you know, from a different location, does does that change at all um, as far as like say a quality or is it all, is humic acid humic acid? Well, you have to look at the parent material first. So we're, we're, we're talking about a 75 million year old semi-tropical forest. You know, since that time where our humate deposit was laid down, there's been all kinds of other, you know, organic matter that have, have, has been laid down. You, you see humic acids harvested from peat and um, um, some these bogs they call sapropel and, and different places. So the humic acid is going to be um, derived from the source, the parent material, age and rank of decomposition. You know, how long has that stuff been sitting around? And some of the exposure to the environmental factors. So the nice thing about the Utah deposit is it has a little sandstone cap right on top. And that sandstone cap has protected it from, um, you know, water, you know, penetrating through. So all those water-soluble components are still there. If you compare that to, let's say, some other deposits that may be exposed to the air, some of those water-soluble components should be rinsed away. So if you looked at just the label and said, okay, they're both humate, you know, they're, I'm just going to compare them on price. Some of the things that are not measured, like the fulvic acid, those mineral components. So, you know, I I would caution people, you know, to do a little bit of research. There, there's some people just selling some black stuff and saying, oh, it's humate. Um, I, I've seen uh, recently I had somebody ask me about biochar. You know, like how much humic acid is in biochar? And I says none. You know, that's uh, basically cooked uh, um, sawdust. Yeah. So uh, just because it's black doesn't mean it's um it, it's gross stuff. Right. Yeah. Do your homework. Uh, one, I'll throw one, one quick little thing about biochar. The biochar process is a pyrolysis process, and that that means they're cooking it in a chamber without oxygen. They're doing this at like 600 to 900 degrees Celsius. And uh, that process can actually create some very nasty things like um, benzene, dioxin, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. You know, the, those are you know kind of just big chemical names you don't, don't really need to know about other than they're known carcinogens. Um, the, the, the International Biochar Institute will tell you, you know, test your biochars for things like germination inhibition studies, things like that. You're not seeing this with humates and humic acids simply because these are created in nature, created by nature, naturally occurring in your soils. You know, this I would just say, you know, don't second guess nature. It probably did a pretty good job yeah. to create these compounds. Good deal. And then the um, the trade association, you're part of the Humic Product Trade Association. You're working with things like this to try to, you know, create more awareness. Or what, what sure. Is so the Humic Product Trade Association, we work in conjunction with researchers to educate people about humic products, what they do, what they don't do the laws governing them, and this is actually an international association of humic acid manufacturers. So it's not just you know us as a company saying our product's better than yours. It's actually all these competitors getting together and saying, hey, let's educate people about these products, what they can do, what they can't do, and how to use them effectively, what research is, it, it, you know, works, what research doesn't. Interesting. 
Have, are you seeing any trends in human use in the turf environmental industry? Is it trending up? Is it becoming more popular or less? Is it ebb and flow? Um, what are you seeing? Well, so I'll, I'll pick a few industries apart. Um, turf, for example. Live Earth Products has had a relationship with the Rose Bowl since 2006. You know, we, we joked that we were doing humic acid long before it was cool. You know, and that, that's implying that, you know, using humic acids on turf is cool now. But some of these high-profile properties are using humates and humic acids because they're seeing results. They are getting pushed forward with challenges like, okay, you've got to grow turf in this environment with reclaimed water. So you're seeing, I think the trajectory is going up. You're seeing more challenges being pushed forward to these turf guys. Okay, grow the same grass on less water. Or grow the same grass with less waterings. Oh, how are we going to do that? The only way we can do that is improve how that soil stores those water and help store those nutrients. So in turf in general, I see humic acid growing. Um, and it, it's a bad pun, but yeah, it, it's going up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it was good. Yeah. The, uh, you know, some of the other industries you see, you know, um, California example, we did see an upspike in the interest of humic acids with cannabis. Colorado, same thing. But humic acids help grow anything with roots. I mean, it's not just turf and ornamentals, but you know, it's part of a, a natural soil and a part of a natural growing system. So any soil that's low organic matter, high salts, marginal pH, you're going to benefit from considering humic acids as a part of that inclusion. All right. And before we let you go, I do want to, Jax, I mean, this could probably be a whole interview and conversation of itself, but um, you have a, a product, maybe a couple products that have biostimulants right. mixed in with humic acids. Can you talk just a little bit about those? I get that this could go pretty deep, but how, how are those different? What, what's the difference between, say, a biostimulant and, and humic acid? So the, the term biostimulant is used for compounds that would accelerate or retard plant growth that are not a macronutrient or a micronutrient. And this could be biological. It could be a plant extract. It could be um, a plant hormone. And it's kind of this gray area between pesticides and, and soil amendments. And it's very strongly regulated by um, sometimes the EPA. And so people who are selling biostimulants have to be cautious on what they say because they don't want to be, hey, I'm a pesticide. Right. But the pesticide law is actually real broad. There's actually statements you could make on water and make water a pesticide. Yeah. So um, compounds, let's say like kelp, for example. Kelp extract has some uh, natural plant hormones that affect uh, the meristematic tissue in a plant. Now, the meristematic tissue is that, like the stem cell or that area at the very end of the root tip that causes that or, or that that is the growing area of that plant rootlet. It's where the plant's growing. From. Right. Cells are dividing. And right. That's, that's where, that's where the, the very beginning of that rootlet's growing. And what some of the kelp extract does is it, it says, hey, um, you know, let's create an environment that's more conducive for growth. So you're seeing more root growth. And that's where the biostimulant question comes in. Is it is a hormone acting like, you know, causing that plant to grow quicker? Or is it creating an environment that's allowing that plant to grow easier? Um, we'll use mycorrhizal fungi, for example. Symbiotic relationship with the plant. It's using the root exudate as food, and it's bringing nutrients to the plant. So the plant's getting uh, a benefit of phosphorus, and, and the, the microbe is, or the mycorrhizal fungi is getting, you know, some of the root exudate. But the, is the plant benefiting? Yeah. So that's what they would consider a, a biostimulant. Okay. Is it's, you know, somewhere along the way, is it symbiotic or is it accelerating that plant? So kelp extracts. A lot of those are, are fall in that biostimulant category because they might be a hormone or something. Interesting. Well, thanks for 
Thanks for uh, sharing some of this with you. If, if people have more questions or they want to learn more about humates in general, particularly live earth, where, where can they go to, to learn more? So there's a few excellent resources. I'll drop our trade association just because, you know, that's not my company. It's a humic product trade association, humictrade.org, and it's International uh, Association of Humic Gas Manufacturers. It lists all the manufacturers who actually make humics, sell humics. Um, th there's some good people on that group. Um, LiveEarth.com, and that's L-I-V-E-A-R-T-H.com. That's our company. Um, you know, we're a small family business. We've been doing this for 30 years. Like I joked, we, we've been doing this long before it was cool, but that's assuming it's <laughs> cool now. Uh, and we distribute through, you know, great companies like partners in um, Utah and Idaho, like Intermountain Farmers. So there's a lot of people at IFA that know a lot about these products. And, um, you know, they've been with us for years. So, you know, stop by, ask some questions. Uh, there's a lot of people who use these products for, for several years and, and uh, could, you know, give you some good examples. Salt. Uh, affected golf courses, trees that were going to get ripped out, you know, add some humic acid and see what happens. You might be surprised. It might improve your current practices. Good deal. Well, thanks again for stopping by and uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. Great. Thanks.